Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Buying a master mechanics tool set usually means high prices, higher interest rates, and who knows how many years of monthly payments. But at GearWrench, we don't believe that your tools should take years and years to pay for. So check out Mega Mod Master Sets, the master mechanics tool sets that deliver pro-quality tools, organized storage solutions, an easy-to-use lifetime warranty, and much, much more. All for thousands less than you'd expect. So don't wait. Explore the sets and check availability now. Only at GearWrench.com. College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to an emergency episode of the D1 Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. Tonight's episode brought to us by our good friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition, it's about swing decisions. It's about getting assessments. We, we've said it many times, exit velo doesn't matter if you swing and miss. Um, strength and speed don't matter if you swing at the balls and take the strikes, as Ted Williams would say. So S2 Cognition will allow you to, first of all, assess how good am I at swing decisions, and then how do I get better at it? Uh, this incredible stuff that these guys have going, I encourage you go to their website and inquire about getting an assessment for your son, for your daughter, for yourself, uh, and, and just kind of take your game to the next level. So again, really appreciate our partnership with S2. Um, for this emergency pod, I've got the great Kendall J. Rogers. I've got Coach Healy, Joe Healy. And boys, we're going to, it is, we're taping this on Sunday evening. So we're going to kind of just, uh, you know, kind of recap the conference realignment chaos and then maybe offer some ideas and some opinions on this stuff. Um, first of all, happy Sunday. How you guys doing? We're doing well. I'm glad we recorded this on Sunday because who knows what tomorrow is going to bring from a realignment standpoint. Yeah. Right. Like it's, yeah, I think that's the, that's one of the lessons in all this is just buckle up. We ain't done. Um, maybe never to be done again. So I always like what Ross Dellinger said. Uh, he's at SI now, is at Yahoo Sports. But you know, he always says like, you know, uh, was he say like believe? Was it believe nothing but consider everything? You like know, that. just because like you just have no idea what to expect in this whole deal. But it, it is think, interesting times. I think I sent you guys my favorite um, Notre Dame football writer is Pete Sampson. He's their beat guy for the Athletic. Yeah, and. Um, he, he had a great opening paragraph the first day of Notre Dame's football camp. He says, wait, didn't preseason camp start, question mark? Then why are we talking about apparel contracts, announcing teams, and conference realignment in August, question mark? Oh, right, because college football is a sport where no one is in charge. <laughs> Most of the time, that's a hilarious feature. Right now, it feels like more like a maddening bug, and I think that, that encapsulates my thoughts. No one is in charge. God bless us all. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, this is not a college football podcast, but the three of us are probably D1 baseball's foremost college football fans, frankly. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know that for fact, but the three of us talk college football a decent amount. And I agree with Pete, like it for a long time, college football being deregulated was fun because yeah. that's how you got chaos and yeah. weird stuff. And, and, and now it's just like, now that now that college football is big business and it's been big business for a long time, but now that we've gotten to this stage of the big business part of it, it is a bug now because now it's, 
you know, turned us kind of upside down. And from, from the college baseball perspective and baseball is not alone, by the way, softball, swim and dive, tennis, like you name it. Uh, those sports are all now just kind of caught up in it. And that's, I guess what we're going to talk about today, because it's like, now we just need to kind of pick up the pieces and figure out what's next. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, the, the overall thought here for me is really kind of both positive and negative. I think it's more negative than positive, but I mean, the negatives is that you're going to lose a lot of these rivalries and some of these different sports, a lot of these, you know, close games. Uh, what I mean by that is like travel and things like that. Um, I, I think the positive here is I think as you look at college baseball, you look around the country at more and more schools putting money into college baseball. What th this whole situation, yeah, yeah, it's about football, but ultimately what is it about? It's about money. And yeah. as long as the, you know, the big 10, uh, is you know going to increase their you know payout you know, their, their payouts to what sixty million uh, in the next few years per team? Although uh, Oregon and Washington have to wait till two thousand thirty to get that full payout, but as, as long as you know the Big Ten's paying out sixty plus million, the ICC's you know paying out sixty to seventy million, the ACC if they hold things together probably are restructuring their deal. The Big 12's new deal is is obviously going to be very good. You know Brett Yormark's done a really nice job of a commissioner, so. What I'm trying to say is, is schools have more money to spend because of these television deals. That really and truly only helps college baseball because it's always looked as, as that sport by at least some schools. I'm looking at you, the Big Ten, that, oh, well, we don't really have the money. Well, if you're making 60 plus million per school, you're adding schools that are historically pretty decent in baseball. Like your excuse for not for not putting more money into baseball like they're not very valid anymore. So I think in the long run, this one up being a good thing for baseball, but I, but I really and truly do feel like I don't think it's going to happen right now because of the television deals, but we can talk about this later, but I truly believe that the, the end game for college baseball and anything but football and basketball uh, needs to be joining kind of regional conferences yep. uh, in those secondary sports, as opposed to just getting lumped in with football all the time. It's a perfect that, segue, KR. And go ahead, Jake. Go. You, well, no, I just it was. I was just going to say I, I agree, and that's part of what has. That's part of what I see is is maybe the biggest negative of this from a baseball standpoint in the big picture is that things have gotten wonky enough now that let's say tomorrow they just snap their fingers and said, "All right, football's doing its own thing, men's and women's basketball are doing their yeah. own thing, everybody else fend for yourselves." Well, how long would that take? A decade to get that sorted like that's not going to happen overnight right like the west yeah. coast isn't going to be like all right everybody places back to where you were yeah <laughs> no that's like that's it is still going to be a business even if it's not going to be the big business right so everybody's going to be looking out for their own interests and so that, that we just can't snap our fingers and make that happen and so are we looking at that future in 2030 2035 2040 mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't know like we're just we're going to be kind of gummed up for a while and that's to me that's the, the ne most negative part yeah. of this yeah and, the, and there's two more thoughts here from my standpoint and I, I feel like i'm not helping our segue here but <laughs> you know the one conference i do that feel that, that i do feel like has a window of opportunity here a little bit is the league that we've all kind of felt like and they were better last year but we all kind of felt like they've kind of gone by the wayside a little bit uh is this is a moment that the Big West, I think, can make a move in baseball because if you're if you're the Big West and you've got, you know, Cal Poly, you've got Fullerton, you get you got you know Long Beach State, UC Irvine schools like UC Santa Barbara, if you're those schools, you can go out on the recruiting trail and sell to a family that hey, your kid will be playing college the most of their college baseball inside the state of California. 
if you're going to USC, UCLA, and granted those two schools are a little bit different animals because they have such a huge national brand. But if if you're those if those if you look at USC and UCLA and the other in Oregon and Washington, which they recruit California heavily as well, uh, you know your your pitch against them is very easy. Like, I mean, do, do you want to go watch your kid play in California, or do you want to watch them go to UCLA and play, you know, Rutgers and Purdue? You know, you make the choice. And I, I do think, you know, for people for for coaches that are really good recruiters, I think there's a window of opportunity for the Big West. Uh, I think the other thing for me is. Uh, literally in the last five minutes as we've been talking, you know, Jason Shearer, who's an Arizona insiders, you know, reporting that Oregon State and San Diego State are now talking to Big 12. So, I mean, I guess the answer, or I guess the, the ultimate thought here, here is, like, we're, I don't think we're even close to being done here. And uh, Oregon State, by the way, is the one school that I really do hope lands somewhere pretty good, like the Big 12, because it would be very disappointing for the baseball program to be stuck in a, in a really bad conference. Yeah, so hold that thought, boys. So let's okay. let's just let's, let's start to unpack the conferences, and we'll do the pack four third. So let's start with the Big Twelve. So the Big Twelve is now an eighteen-team conference. If you think about it, BYU, mm-hmm. Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF are coming this year. Texas and Oklahoma, one more year, right? And then next yeah. year, when Texas and Oklahoma leave. That's when Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State come in. So let's focus on the 2025 season when that stuff has played itself out and rinsed itself out. So the Big 12 will be an 18-team league with two schools that don't sponsor baseball, Iowa State and Colorado. So you're talking about a 16-team league. So the question, boys, is, hey, and Ray Anderson, the athletic director at Arizona State, you know, the one thing about these Big 12 schools, they don't have a ton of money. And he said already they've been in the Big 12 for five seconds. And Ray Anderson said, hey, we're already we've already started discussions about divisions for Olympic sports. So that's crystal clear to me like that. Arizona, yeah. yeah, like they have no you, interest you, you in gotta playing. Do that. Yeah, got to do it. So here's the question, boys. Do you go east-west? Do you go north-south? Let me just throw an east-west, for instance, at you for baseball. We're only talking baseball now. So could the West be Arizona State, Arizona, BYU, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, Utah, Houston, and then the East? And again, this is messy, right? Like I'm just I'm throwing a dart right now. The East is West Virginia, Cincinnati, Central Florida, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. I mean, I, I get it. That's not really that's not (laughs) west and east i don't even know what that is it's just like hey you six go over here i don't know what do you guys think what do they do for baseball you can go ahead joe if you'd like i think it makes sense to me to go this is my snapshot i've not kind of done back of the napkin like you just did there runes i've not really done that yet but it makes sense to me baseball being a sport that's so affected by weather Mm -hmm it makes some sense to me to split them more East-West than North-South because I, I think if you end up with a North division, you kind of end up with, I mean, no disrespect, but it's the reality. You end up with Cincinnati and West Virginia and K-State and Kansas. And, you know, and while somebody's going to love that, like West Virginia would probably love that arrangement, right? I mean, they'd mm-hmm. be the big dog in that group. And of course you'd have to add a couple more teams to that to make it balanced. But I just think it, it, it makes it a little more, it feels like it makes it a little more balanced if you have, some east and west because then you're you maybe can sprinkle some of the more northern teams around because k-state and kansas can go either way right like they're they're smack in the middle of it and can really Mm -hmm. go either way the texas teams could maybe go either way depending on where they are like theoretically houston and you know uh tech obviously are on different parts of the state so anyway long story short just feels a little 
more potentially balanced with an east-west versus north-south. Go ahead, Kendall. Yeah, I'm with Joe. I, I think east-west makes a lot more sense here. And can I just say this? I think the Big 12, strictly baseball, I think the Big 12 is by far the biggest winner here. You know, when you lose mm-hmm. Texas and Oklahoma, especially University of Texas, uh, that's, that's a little bit of a gut punch from a baseball standpoint. I think when you look at the Big 12 right now with Texas Tech, you know, you got Arizona State, Oklahoma State, TCU, um, Arizona. I mean, that's a that's a really good baseball conference. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're looking at the Big 12 now as a, as a league with eight, nine, ten really solid programs. And then you throw UCF in there who, I mean, let's be honest, they should be a lot better than they are. There's a lot of potential there with Rich Wallace and, and the Knights. Uh, and then, you know, even Cincinnati, that, that Cincinnati becomes a really difficult job now in this league. But I mean, if there's somebody that can do it, it's Jordan Bischel. Yeah, they got a great uh, coach. He's a fantastic coach. So when you just look at the collection of programs, you look at a collection of coaches, uh, I think the Big 12 is a big winner here. And, and by the way, I, I, I'd be curious to get your take on this, but I actually feel like Arizona State and Arizona are actually pretty good fits with these with these schools. Like, I kind of feel like, when you look at both of those schools, they both have, at least from a baseball standpoint, pretty passionate fan bases. You know, I know people don't historically look at Arizona State as like a, an SEC type of fan base, but I'll tell you what, I mean, I was there, uh, I think it was um, it was the year that ASU was was top five with Tracy and the, uh, no, that, that wasn't the, that was the year before the COVID year. Whenever they had Michigan, you were with me, when they played Michigan at Muni early in the season and, uh, it might have been 2020. Yeah, it was. It was pandemic. It was right before things. Yeah, because yeah. uh, Stephen Hadger was from Michigan, yes. and they were no, coming exactly. off of and the finals. I remember being at Muni, and like it was February, and they had like like six thousand people there. So when you look at that fan base, and you look at Arizona, and certainly High Corbett's been packed before. Uh, I just think they're a really good fit with the Big 12 in that regard. So I'm kind of excited to see those two schools with the, with the Big 12 schools. Yeah, I think they've really – this the league is improving in baseball considering that you're losing upside like Texas and Oklahoma. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think about Oklahoma State's facility is top-notch. Arizona – to your point, Kendall, Arizona State, when they hosted Arizona this year, I mean, they had 17,000 fans there that weekend. And it's, it's, it's literally a big league spring training park. And the weather is incredible. I mean, it's – that, you know, this there, there's a lot to like there. And I'll tell you, the, the one thing I would say for the Big 12, and this is this is advice I'm really giving to the Big 10. But the more I think about it, I think it applies to the Big 12. Get creative with your scheduling, because let's be honest, you don't have a regular season champion in baseball anymore. You don't. Right. Like there's no such yeah. thing as a regular season champion with 16 teams. You might have division champions or whatever you want to conjure up. But what I might think about doing and this is this will segue us into the Big Ten is and I'll, I'll come back to this thought is, hey, do eight conference weekends that are reasonable opponents that you're not crisscrossing the country and maybe do some potluck weekends. Like go go to some spring training places and play. Like I think about the events that our peak event guys are putting on. Why can't you do that in your conference? Four teams go to one really cool facility, play three different teams. Hey, even do a regional format as like a regional primer. Yeah. Like do something fun and creative as opposed to, I don't know, like Cincinnati traveling to BYU to just force a conference series for the dumbest reasons of all time. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I And Joe might actually remember this too a little bit. But uh, I remember when I was a kid, I think it was 90, 93, 94. It was one of those years. And the SWC, the Southwest Conference, had a first pitch tournament. So they always yeah. started the year 
with like an 18 tournament of all the teams in the SWC, that's the way they started the year. And they would go, you know, four and four. And I still remember they opened Cougar Field at U of H um, with on a Saturday night with A&M in Texas. And I mean, they had like 5,000 people, which 5,000 people on Cougar Field is massive, but they had 5,000 people there. And I mean, it was split right down the middle. It created a really cool atmosphere to start the college baseball season. So I, I love that idea. It probably didn't help University of Houston fans uh, kind of inferiority <laughs> complex with A&M in Texas at the big game to open up Cougar Field was A&M in Texas. Well, um, it's, it's always, open up their it's own always field. like, you know, no, no offense to, to my boy Walt Greenberg and Rice fans, but it always cracks me up when you look at like oh. Reckley Park and their media guide, like largest crowds ever. And like the top two or AM versus Texas and that regional that one year. Oh, that was nice. Back to back days. You oh. know, the there is a little bit of precedent for a scheduling situation like that. So yeah. we all remember the Big Ten and 21, right? Um, which I think is a the Big Ten I, I've long griped about with a conference that big, you should be playing more than eight conference weekends. And to mitigate the weather, why don't you just recreate what you did in 2021? Anyway, setting that aside, had it not been for the pandemic, the American was going to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, I wrote something back pre pre COVID 2020, I had caught wind of the fact that the American was going to do that format starting in 2021. Because if you remember in that iteration of the American, they had this wonky little thing where every team had a team they played twice, but it was just one team. And so really it was kind of, you know, some team was going to draw East Carolina twice, shout out Cincinnati. And then some, some team was going to draw Memphis twice. And that's, you know, that can make a big difference in the conference standings when you're only playing 24 conference games. The fact that you got three extra against the best team in the league or the worst team in the league makes a big difference. And so to mitigate that, they were going to do some sort of like send four teams here, send four teams there and do some sort of, you know, pod play or regional format or whatever. Um, And, and, you know, COVID cost us that because after that happened, they kind of had to rethink a lot of things. But regardless, so it's not that. I like the idea. Actually, I love the idea. And it's not that outlandish, frankly. Yeah, I like the idea of some of these leagues just saying, hey, we're going to take one weekend and we're going to play regionals just to give our teams an edge for the postseason. Now, I know it could get crazy with pitching, but it's the regular season. At this point, all bets are off. So let's go to the Big Ten because um, this really applies to the Big Ten. So the Big Ten now is a league with 18 teams, but Wisconsin sucks. So they don't have baseball. So, sorry, Barry Alvarez. Don't, don't let Patrick Ebert hear you say that. Well, the state of Wisconsin is great. The <laughs> athletic department of Wisconsin is, is who I've got ire with. Um, so, so this is going to be, let's call it what it is. It's going to be 13 teams in the Big Ten plus four West Coast teams yeah. that are weirdly attached. So, you know, and by the way, boys, we don't have to answer this today, but what in the Hades are these people going to do about conference tournaments? Like, Anybody, anybody got a format in their back pocket for a 17 team conference tournament? But I think, well, oh, I think ahead, the Big Ten ought to go to split tournament. Remember the S- the SWC, the SEC at one point had split tournaments for you know, the conference a, tournament. Yeah, they at one point they had an SEC West and an SEC East tournament. Interesting, I didn't know that. Yeah, a well, long time ago. The problem for the Big Ten though is obviously like they don't have an East and a West. Like I know people are trying to like the football people are saying, oh, you could just do a West and an East that's not going to work in baseball. It's not going to work in the Olympic yeah. sports. So, and here's the other problem for the big 10, you have got to get to 30 conference games. You, you are hurting your league being at 24 conference games. So again, like I, my thought on the big 10 is exactly what we just talked about. And I, I hate this for the, the, the West, the four West coast teams, but 
they almost have to play each other twice. Like, I think, I think let's just take Oregon. I think they've got to play home and away with Washington, home and away with SC, home and away with UCLA, then play two weekends with these teams that are 2,000 miles away, and then maybe you get two hybrid weekends like the peak events tournament or that type of stuff. And I'll tell you, when you play teams six times, it gets really chippy in games four and a half, five and six. Like if, if um, sportsmanship can not be awesome at the end of those (laughs) little deals, but I don't know, unless you guys have other ideas, I don't see how else you do it. Shout out to the old six pack, right? Runes. Oh gosh. Um, Yeah. Like that call the cops before the game. (laughs) I mean, it, it just, it feels like there's a couple of ways out here from a baseball standpoint. One is that, is probably you know we talked about this on whatsapp and i i agree that it's not the likeliest scenario but they could get bailed out if they end up having to take cal and stanford Mm -hmm. right because let's face it the academic profile of those schools fits exactly what the big 10 wants right uh they they still want that type of academic profile and god bless them like i'm not saying that as a bad thing like great you know ultimately these are colleges but barring that because that that would help even it out right you then you'd have six of them and at least okay now you've got at least half of a conference schedule just on the West coast. But I I think given the chat, I think there's an opportunity here for the big 10 because of the challenges of, Hey, look, nobody else in the conference except these West coast teams can play on March at home on March 10th, not comfortably anyway. Right. You might get lucky and get the 60 degree day in Indiana or Illinois, but not likely. So, you know, maybe, maybe the answer is, and, and this could be a little bit of an olive branch to those West coast teams that have a lot of understandable concerns about, you're, you're telling me we're going to throw everybody on a plane and send them to West Lafayette or, or wherever for the weekend. Maybe that's a little bit of an olive branch to say, look, okay, you're going to play each other on the West coast. And then the first two weeks of conference play, we're going to send them all out there. Basically yeah. everybody else is going to you. And I don't know how, you know, I don't know how they'd set that up, but you could have four locations. Um, I know that Washington and Oregon aren't that comfortable in early March either, but you know, less chance of snow at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but just send everybody out West for the first two weeks of conference play, you know, to give you those 10 conference weeks. And then, okay, once you get to mid March, late March, then you can start filtering everybody back to the Midwest and, and what have you. That's so that's, that's super back of the napkin in pencil type of idea. But I think it can, I don't want to say solve two problems, but it can both help the scheduling and also be a little bit of, like I said, an olive branch to those West coast teams of like, Hey, we know this is hard. We know you didn't sign up for this. Here's how we're going to mitigate a little bit of that for you. Yeah. Just, just backload the, we'll just backload the road schedule. Uh, I, I have two thoughts. Number one, um, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington better be really, really glad the SEC doesn't, you know, doesn't want somebody like Stanford. I mean, could you imagine if you're Stanford and let's say the SEC wants to add you, you go to the SEC and can you imagine like a recruit trying to pick between playing at Stanford in the SEC or something like that, or USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. Mm. They talk about just an outrageous recruiting advantage. So my first thought is they better be glad there wasn't a West Coast school that the SEC tried to poach. Um, uh, Number two, I think the biggest storyline for me with the Big Ten is will all these changes finally change just the overall just theme and approach from the Big Ten from a baseball standpoint? You know, Tony Petiti, the new commissioner, has a baseball background. Uh, obviously a former MLB guy, uh, you know, that that's certainly a feather in the cap from a college baseball standpoint. And then, you know, USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, 
the thing about those schools is they're not, you know, all of them from an administrative standpoint aren't necessarily just, you know, rabid college baseball people. But what they are, they're all schools with coaches for the most part who are ultra passionate. Like they will go on a coach's annual coaches meeting and they won't just like lay over and just take, you know, note that everything is, an, is a, like a legitimate answer. Like they, they'll want robust discussions, whether it's John Savage, Mark Wazikowski, which by the way, he was at Purdue before. So he kind of knows the inner workings of the Big Ten. Welcome home. Uh, and, then, you know, and then JK. JK is certainly a very honest guy, too. So I think adding co- the, those schools and, and frankly, adding those personalities as coaches will help the Big Ten. The question is, how much will it help the Big Ten from a baseball standpoint? Uh, that, that'll be the million-dollar question. The other thing is, too, is does this finally give the Big Ten a window here to try to implement the Eric Backage plan of, of moving the season back, you know, three or four weeks and extending the College World Series into July 4th weekend? Will it give that some newfound momentum? Yeah. I just – I think – that's interesting. I, I think a four weeks is kind of – a is, is a dead idea at this point. Maybe two weeks is more passionate. Yeah. But I, I think the Southern California schools aren't even in favor of it. I, hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out. Where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Buying a master mechanics tool set usually means high prices, higher interest rates, and who knows how many years of monthly payments. But at GearWrench, we don't believe that your tools should take years and years to pay for. So check out Mega Mod Master Sets. The master mechanics tool sets that deliver pro-quality tools, organized storage solutions, an easy-to-use lifetime warranty, and much, much more. All for thousands less than you'd expect. So don't wait. Explore the sets and check availability now. Only at GearWrench.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. I think the ultimate question, Kendall, that you're that, that when you're when you were laying that out, what I was saying, what I was thinking is. Do these four schools make the Big Ten better in baseball, or does the Big Ten make these four schools not as good in baseball? Or is there a rising, you know, does because from a recruiting standpoint, does it hurt their profile, those types of things? Or can a rising tide lift all boats? I, I think that's going to be interesting. But I do, hey, like as we sit here today, 
if you took these four programs as they're currently constituted, they're four of the better programs in the Big Ten. Like you, you didn't add four bottom feeders. You added four teams that would legitimately compete for your title. So I think yeah. that yeah, as we sit here today, this is very positive for Big Ten baseball. Now, where it goes from here, I don't know. Like that's that's well, going to be tricky. Yeah, I mean, the question becomes: Do these four West Coast teams become Nebraska, who mm-hmm. was a perennial power in the Big Twelve, went to the Big Ten, and granted, they have been bad in the Big Ten, but they're not the the national program that they were for a decade in the Big Twelve. Uh, and the other question would be, and, the, and it really my other thought would be, I think what's going to end up happening is I think you're going to see even more and more California kids in, in specific go to the SEC. I think the pitch from these SEC schools, considering they've already had success getting to California, getting some of these premier players, I think they have a, a more robust argument than they've ever had against these schools. Yeah, hard to, hard to disagree with that. Go ahead, Joe. The Nebraska example – is an interesting one. And, but it, it's hard for me to suss that out because I, I do agree with the general sentiment that since Nebraska has been in the big 10, they've not been quite as relevant nationally, but I, I'm not sure how to suss out how much of that was a conference move. And the fact that their move to the big 10 also kind of coincided with being a couple of years after all of the Dave Van Horn washed out of the program. Right. Yeah. So like, that's kind of a he's, hard he's one. He's a decent to, coach. Hmm. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, yeah, so that that's a tough one. I, I agree that it's it's a good comparison. I think if we want to look, read some tea leaves, I think that's a good place to look. It's just that ti- the timing of that is kind of tough, though, given that the best coach and most successful coach in program history had left several years earlier. And by that point, you know, his players were gone. They had, had to make another yeah. coaching change, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that well, part, not only that, that part well, doesn't go ahead. Yeah. You, you go first, Kendall. Well, I was just going to say very quickly, uh, and no offense to Nebraska, but like all four of those schools we just mentioned have better recruiting profiles than Nebraska does in baseball. Yeah. yeah all, it, I mean, Washington's a great school in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Oregon, I mean, uh, we don't have to really talk about their brand. And then you have USC, UCLA, who every kid, you know, a lot of kids in Southern California grew up wanting to be a Trojan or wanting to be a Bruin. So the, the recruiting profile is significantly different. So that could be the one differentiator between maybe Nebraska, the Nebraska example, and those four schools. Yeah. And, but I think that part of the Nebraska story, and, and again, it's it's like chicken and the egg type of thing. Like Nebraska's great teams probably had a very Texas influence, or at least some of it. And then do mm-hmm. you lose that when you go to the Big Ten? You know, Oregon and Washington, they always have had good players from California. Does this hurt their ability to recruit those kids? I mean – I, I don't we won't know. Right. Like th- th- these are answers that questions that can't be answered except through time. Hey, let's let's talk about those. The, the pack four, if you will. This is sad. I mean, Cal, Cal and I read an article tonight. Cal and Stanford lead the nation in producing Olympic athletes and they're homeless right now. I mean, Oregon State and Washington State are really cool athletic departments that they're, you know, make a lot out of a little. Hey, in, let's just focus on baseball. Oregon State has three national titles since 2006. That leads the country. Stanford, three straight Omahas. That leads the country. Um, In 2022, just one year ago, Stanford and Oregon State were the number two and number three national seed in our sport. Like they like like top three going into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, like and and here's the thing that's scary is 
I've I've read reports that say that the big there were several Big Ten schools that didn't even want Oregon and Washington because they know that the next contract they're gonna you know Oregon's Oregon's not gonna take a half share in the next contract, which means less for those schools, you know. So now you're you're gonna ask them to take Stanford and Cal who are gonna command even less money. So I yeah, it gets really complicated. But what, yeah, Kendall, let me start with you. Any thoughts on what happens with Stanford? Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State, or what could happen? I feel pretty confident about Stanford. I think Stanford will find its way somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where at this point. Cal is the one I'm worried about because, I mean, if you look at Cal overall, from a cultural standpoint, like they don't really give a damn about college athletics. I mean, let, let's mm-hmm. be very honest. They've got a lot of you know former student-athletes that are Olympians, but by far and wide, like they do not have a very large fan base for a school their size with their kind of profile. So they're number one. They're not a huge like athletic-minded school, which is fine. Like you don't have to be. Um, the other thing is they, you know, they I think they lead the country in like athletic debt. It's something like four hundred ninety million dollars. Um, you know, and the the other thing for me is I'm concerned about their baseball program because let's not forget um, they tried to they tried to cut baseball at one point, and if they're in a situation in a league where they're not getting anywhere near as much money as maybe they were even before. Maybe they go, Hey, we got to start cutting some programs again. And maybe baseball ends up being one of the sacrificial lambs. And so I worry the most about Cal. I mean, Washington state would be in that mold too, just because I mean, at least Cal has the Bay area. I mean, if you're Washington state, like if you're thinking of it from a conference, I'm not saying me, but like you're thinking of it from, from a conference standpoint, like what is their allure? I mean, they're in Eastern Washington. If you're the Big 12, you're not going to go get Wazoo. You're going to go get Gonzaga for basketball only, which they've talked about adding basketball only members. You're just going to go Gonzaga, and, like, that's all you need to get Eastern Washington. So I think they're in a bad spot. Oregon State, again, is the one school that I really and truly hope lands in a good spot because uh, Oregon State's a unique place, man. Like I've always mm-hmm. said, it's one of, the, one of the few West Coast schools you go to for a big game. And like you feel like you're in the heart of SEC country, like it. And I again, I, I'm not I'm not trying to just compare everything to the SEC, but you know that is the gold standard in terms of atmospheres in college baseball. And Oregon State is as close as you're going to get to that on the West Coast. Um, either football programs in a really good spot uh, with uh, with Jonathan. Uh, oh, what's his last name? I, Smith. I forget. Yeah, Jonathan Smith. Like he's done a really nice job there. They just renovated the football stadium. You know, Wayne Tinkles had some nice teams there over the last last few years. And so, uh, I mean, I, I like Oregon State's profile. It's an ultra-passionate fan base. And, you know, there it, it does – you know, there is a sizable alumni base there in that Portland-Seattle area. So, I would say in order, I'll probably feel the best about Stanford, Oregon State, uh, Cal, Washington State in that order. Yeah. Did you shop a Wayne Tinkle on us, KR? Is that the basketball coach? That's the basketball coach. Well done. Look at you. Go Beavs. Plus, plus five for knowing Oregon State's <laughs> basketball coach. You should get a credit on the nonsense tracker next to Omaha. Wait, I think he's still the coach. He might have gotten fired last year because I don't think they're very good. He's he's still the coach, but he's he's on thin ice. He's he should yeah. be a hero to us all. He got his team to the Elite Eight, got a giant contract extension, and the team has been awful the last two years. No, exactly. I mean, no, that's, that's what I was going to say. Just, that's that's why I like, corrected right myself and said, oh, they were good like a few years ago because I was like pretty sure they were terrible. All right, year. I'm on Team Tinkle. Go ahead, Joe. I, th- I talked way too long. Sorry. You were good. No, it's uh, you, you led us to Wayne Tinkle, which is uh, the the best thing that could have happened in that scenario. Well I just I, my my overarching thing. I so I agree with just you're kind of gutted for from a baseball standpoint. Oregon State, most notably, and I'm with Kendall that I 
you feel for Stanford too, in a way, but I kind of have a feeling that Stanford will, will find a home and also Stanford. Look, I mean, we could quibble with some things about Stanford shout out to their um, streaming capabilities in baseball, but look, that university is flush enough that if if they decide, Hey, we're we're just going to throw a bunch of money at at baseball to allow them to heck, they could even be an independent. I'm not saying they're going Mm -hmm. to, but if they, they have the money to just do that and make it work. Right. So like, I am not that worried about Stanford, but I, I just do worry, worry about it from the standpoint of, of, look, I made this comparison on Twitter and I'll make it quickly here and I can do a better job of it in audio than I can on Twitter is that, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a fan of an NFL team, I don't really care when the NFL signs a new deal with Fox or CBS or NBC or ESPN or, or what have you, because it doesn't, especially in a salary cap sport, does not affect really at all my team's ability to compete. But in college athletics, if you're talking about competing for national titles, it is almost entirely based on what conference you're in. I mean, you look at access to the college football playoff, access to the NCAA tournament in basketball, women's basketball, baseball. Um, there's a lot wrapped up in conference affiliation and playing the, the, we see how much easier it is to get an at-large bid when you play in a conference where you're going to have the RPI help, whatever it is. And unfortunately, if you're Oregon State, you've done all of the right things. Mm-hmm. You, at least from a baseball standpoint, you have a great facility. You have a lot of fans. You have a great atmosphere. You've won a whole bunch. You've put a bunch of players into Major League Baseball. And because you're not an attractive television market, an attractive program in the sports that matter most, you're, you're, you are left out in the cold. And this is how that kind of stuff happens. I don't, we, we haven't seen anything this extreme. We haven't really seen a conference that's this prominent in baseball die like this. I mean, we've seen the old big East got dissolved, but it wasn't in baseball what this is. Right. Um, so this is kind of uncharted territory, but I think about teams like, um, conference USA used to be a major conference in baseball and it's just not anymore. Right. It's because they got bled out to the point where now, if you're a good team in conference USA, you're kind of looking around saying like, where's our help? Like, you know, we can't, if you're Louisiana Tech, right? Um, or even the last couple of years with Rice under Wayne Graham, like they're winning a bunch of games, but the league keeps getting worse and it's not helping them. That's kind of where Oregon State's going to be unless somehow they get bailed out by the Big 12 or, or someone else. And that's just through no fault of their own. And that sucks, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it, it, well, it, it's just, yeah. I mean, these have just become, these are less conferences and they're more, I think Bamani Jones made the point on Twitter. These are less conferences and more television collectives, you know, and that's just the reality. Like it's just an old man yells at cloud. If you complain about that, cause it's just the reality, but for Oregon state today, it sucks hundred percent. Well, my question would be for like Stanford. So there have been a little bit, a little bit of rumblings about them going independent in athletics. The, the problem I see with that from a baseball standpoint only is if the Big Ten has 18, the SEC has 16, the Big 12 has six or uh, 14 baseball playing teams, and they're all adding another week of conference games. Let's say they're they're like the ACC; they're playing two weeks, and then going into conference. Like, who the hell is Stanford going to play in April? You know, yeah, the, they'll, they'll have the, nobody to play. I, I don't know how BYU did it when they, but like Notre Dame is kind of a fake example of this because they're in the they're, they've always been in a league for Olympic sports. And they have a big fat football contract to lean on to be independent. And Stanford yeah. won't have those luxuries. So, I yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this this gets really messy. You know, like like I I think we can't. You know, I don't want to be a doomsdayer, but like I don't think we can overstate the danger that's that 
well, dangerous, the wrong word, but I think you guys know what I'm saying. Like Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State, and Cal for their Olympic sports scheduling purposes, you got a real problem on your hands right now. And yeah. Cal's got 30 sports. Like to your point, Kendall, who are you playing in the middle of April? Who? Like just a bunch of teams on buys. And now there's four of you that are vying for those teams. Like, I don't well, know. Like, all, you got to figure something out. Well, the thing about it is it won't be Big 12. It won't be Big 10. It won't be SEC. And it won't be ACC. So your whole schedule is just going to be mid-majors. Well, guess yeah. what? You have no shot at getting the postseason if your whole schedule is mid-majors. Unless you just just roll in all of those, in, for the most part, in all of those, uh, all of those games. Yep. I mean, in all this, let's wrap with this. The SEC is just in gorgeous position. The only challenge coming down the baseball horizon for the SEC and air quotes challenge is that, hey, you're going to have 16 teams. We know how dogged that league is. Like, can you get the selection committee comfortable with admitting 12 and 18 SEC teams into the NCAA tournament on a regular basis? Like that, maybe I'm wrong, but that feels like the next frontier for the SEC um, I don't know, man. That's that that doesn't feel like an easy chore if the selection committee is in fact going to be representative of the country. Well, I think it's gonna go I ahead. think the Overton the Overton window is gonna move on that to where now that all of these conferences are major conferences, I think there's going to be less instances where you're comparing a twelve and eighteen SEC team against a seventeen and thirteen fair. Yeah. other major conference club because everybody's yeah. going to get kind of beat up like that because the conferences are getting bigger and unbalanced. And so I think there, there is going to be a little bit more apples to apples than there is now. No, maybe not. We'll see. But so, but I do think there is going to be a little moving of the expect expectations there. So I, I do think we are, I don't know if it's, it's probably not next year, but I don't know if it's 2025 or 26 or whatever, but I, I think we're going to get there. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. And thank you too. Like, Perception can sometimes be reality, and what's really interesting is, you know, the Big the Big Ten is always one of those conferences that, really, outside of four teams, are pretty much like, yeah, they're not getting in. Well, now with these four new West Coast teams, from a you know from a recency bias standpoint, do you look at the Big Ten the same way as of like, hey, this is pretty much three four team, you know, three four teams out of this league getting in, or do you automatically or as a committee do you shift your idea of? Okay, this league suddenly has become a league that definitely deserves to get five, you know, five, six, seven bids, you know, type of league. That'll be really interesting to me because right now it's like four or less, and that's it for the Big Ten. Yeah, it's like you know, like Rutgers, for instance, a couple of years ago. Granted, their non-conference schedule is horrendous, but I mean, they they pretty much had no shot on Selection Day, even though they had a really, you know, really solid overall record and really solid conference record. Isn't that amazing? Like what we're saying out loud, and I'm not disagreeing with anything you guys are saying, but what we're saying out loud is we're entering an era of college baseball where your conference season means less than your non-conference season. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like that is that those words did not feel good coming out of my mouth. I think we're nearing a point where it's almost like college baseball will have like conference placeholders. Like you almost have to, right? I mean, Oh, you finished like, top in the top 10 in this league. And yeah, you're I mean, it. like unofficially, obviously, like not officially, but like unofficially, you're going to have to look at the Big Ten and go, hey, like if there's six teams in the top, you know, 60 RPI, we're going to put them in yep. kind of deal behind the scenes. I mean, you're not, you're almost going to have to with those four teams going to that conference. The, the one thing that this is, this is now becoming more global. This is, you know, 
it's not a real thought. It's just a saying something out loud, but like at some point the athletic directors outside of the sec, you know, in theory are going to look at this and say, okay, Olympic sports, we're, we're not doing this anymore. Like we're, we're just not, we're not, we're, we're not, you know, like the Oregon athletic department saying, Hey, for Olympic sports, we're not in the big 10. This is a joke. Like, what, what are we doing? You know, like, why are we playing six, the, the, the guys in our backyard six times. And then, you know, so I don't know, like that, that to your point earlier, Joe, like that could take a decade for us to get there. I don't like, this doesn't even go into play right away. Hey, let's, let's finish with this. Ironically, in spite of it, I'm sure it feels very uncomfortable, but as we sit here in this moment, ACC baseball feels like it's in a really good place. I mean, Florida State, I think, is going to make a quick turnaround. I don't think Louisville is going to stay down. Wake Forest getting a Chase Burns. You know, Wake Forest had another great offseason. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate for the ACC that the Florida State, every leader that can put a Florida State pin on is just smashing the conference verbally. Like, that's not ideal. And and I do worry about them from an NIL perspective because they compete against the SEC directly for recruits. But I don't know. Like, I am... Yeah. Maybe optimistic's the wrong word, but ACC baseball is in a pretty dang good place in this moment. Maybe you guys disagree, though. Yeah, I mean, Florida State to me, I mean, I know that there's been a lot of, like, just, you know, loud words out of Tallahassee, but, like, I kind of feel like if, if you're the SEC, I mean, the only place they'd be going would be the SEC, probably. I mean, I can't imagine that they would go to the Big Ten. Although I couldn't imagine, you know, a year ago that UCLA would go to the Big Ten. But, uh, you know, I would think if you're the SEC, you're probably more wanting like North Carolina and Clemson than Florida State. I don't know that that's my feeling, but uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, I feel like the ACC is in a pretty good spot. I mean, it sounds like that league for the most part is pretty stable. You know, you have Bubba Cunningham at UNC kind of coming out and and calling out Florida State the other day. It seems like they kind of have a united front, which is nice to see this day and age a little bit. If you're if you're an SEC school though, like you're in such pole position. Let, let's say your your annual um, income from the TV deal for the SEC is seventy million a year, just for a round number. If you're the SEC presidents and schools right now, you're saying to Greg Sankey, "Hey, those schools are very interesting. Florida State, Clemson. Let's just focus on those two. North Carolina, whatever. Very interested. As long as you can guarantee me that I'm never getting less. Like meaning." I don't bring them in here and then I get less because we have to split it more. So basically you're saying to the TV companies, Hey, if we bring in these schools, the very least is you got to be paying 70 million each for them. Like I'm not, I'm not. So that's where it gets tricky is now you're asking ESPN Fox, like, Hey, are Clemson and Florida state worth 70 million each? I don't know. Like, Well, the, the other thing number. too, yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, and I know you have to be a little bit more careful in this opinion than, than us, but, I mean, the other thing, too, is, like, from an ESPN standpoint, like, why in the hell would you build up the ACC, build up the ACC network, and even think to put yourself in a position to where the league might get rattled a little bit, you know, to, to have, you know, two, three, four teams potentially leave the ACC? Like, I, I just don't see any way ESPN's building up the ACC, then all of a sudden going, okay, we're fine with the league being on shaky ground all of a sudden. Because it's not like that they did that with the Big 12. Let's remember, the only thing the Big 12 had was the Longhorn Network. So I think they were okay with the Big 12 being shaky because they didn't have the same type of setups they do the ACC. They're not building a network around the whole conference uh, in the Big 12 like they are the ACC. So that's my feeling. I, I, I still feel like ESPN and Fox is 
pulls a lot of strings in this deal, and I just don't see them letting the, the ACC go on pretty shaky ground. I I might be wrong. I don't know what their move is, though. Go ahead, Joe. Like, that's the tricky part. What is the what is ESPN's move there? Is it renegotiate the contract, or what do they do? Gosh, yeah. I mean, that's and that's, I, you know, I'm out of my depth if I try to start wading into yeah. those waters. But I, I just, <laughs> I think it's, it's a tricky situation. I think the SEC is in an enviable place because, let's face it, most of these moves get made out of fear, not out mm-hmm. of a position of strength. Now, the SEC poaching Texas and Oklahoma, the SEC did not need to do that. That was a move made out of strength. But the Big 12 is adding these teams because they were afraid if they didn't do that to the Pac-12, it was going to get done to them. Strength in numbers, um, yeah. Right. And the Big 10 is thinking about it less from their, the Big Ten is, is competing less in their minds with the Big 12 and the Pac-12 as they are with the SEC. And so they're feeling pressure of, hey, we need to, they, the, 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 the SEC just added, we need to add. And so that, that happens that way. And so the SEC is in a little bit of an enviable position of like, yeah, if you guys want to kind of like pick off some parts, that's great. I mean, we feel pretty good about, about what we have and nobody's leaving the SEC in this current climate, right? So they don't have to act out of that. What I will say when it comes to the ACC is it, it does feel more stable, but that's just, I think a lot of that's just because Florida state tried to saber rattle a little bit and everyone kind of looked at him with side eye. Like, what are you, what are you doing over here? Right. I mean, like, <laughs> where, where are you going? You have and no invitations. Like, yeah. So I'm leaving, but I have no ride home. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So there there's that, but I, but I will say one of the, one of the cardinal sins of the Pac-12, among many, and this is not the podcast to dive into that. There are plenty of reporters doing good work that that are a lot more sourced in this than the, than the three of us. But one of their cardinal sins was they just kind of kept sitting on their hands, yeah. right? Not and not just with the media deal. Oh, that was a big part of it. This media deal, it was always it was always two weeks away, right? It was like we're 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 close, and it never happened. But also, they had a chance. What twelve years ago? to take on Texas and Oklahoma and maybe a couple of others. And they decided to pass because they felt like they were in a position of strength and they were turned out to be wrong about that ultimately. And so there is a penalty for moving slowly on this stuff. So, you know, if you're the ACC, that's the, that's the only thing is that I, I think John Wilner is John Wilner, John Canzano, one of those West coast Johns made this point of maybe it was Stuart Mandel. Heck I've read a lot of realignment stuff as you guys all have recently, but made the point of, realignment tends to happen when nothing else is happening. They, these last few moves have come out of nowhere, Texas and Oklahoma, UCLA, USC, and these moves we saw last week, none of, we saw none of them coming maybe in the distance. I think we all saw instability in the PAC 12, right? But we didn't see, Hey, last Monday, we did not say, Hey, four days from now, the PAC 12 is going to be essentially dead. Yeah. (laughs) We never would have thought that. So that, that's the only thing is that at, in this climate, I don't think you can really ever be comfortable unless right now you're the Big Ten or the SEC, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fair. the ACC is the, the lead that I think out of all these different conferences that it'd be actually kind of intriguing if they picked up, uh, again, geographically, it's outrageously stupid. But I mean, the, like Cal and Stanford might actually fit in okay with the with the academic schools in the ACC. Like you, you know, you could have a situation where maybe you take on Stanford, and maybe go pluck UConn, and you get UConn from a basketball standpoint. Stanford adds the you know the the robust academic profile of the top uh, ACC schools, like Wake, UVA, Duke, etc. So I mean, again, it makes zero geographic sense, but pretty much none of this stuff does. So uh, yeah. I mean, that would be my move. I'm the ACC. 
is like, hey, if some of these West Coast schools are going to go to the East Coast, like, why don't we just pick up Stanford? Well, and then yeah. take your take your pick of don't the, the advantage to that. Now we're just in the spitballing portion of the show. Like, <laughs> rather than I just want to make that clear, like we are not reporting anything. We are just like out Joe, here. Joe's a very well known Stanford insider, so. <laughs> We are just out here kind of throwing stuff against the wall. Let's let's have some fun, you know, because if you're if you're the ACC, don't don't just let the Mountain West have first mover advantage on those West Coast teams. And yeah. and furthermore, from a football standpoint, anyway, like you could you could do some work and say, OK, let's take the four West Coast schools and let's add San Diego State and let's add Boise and let's add Fresno State and let's add, you know, take the best teams in the Mountain West. And put them out there with those West Coast teams. You've got the old airplane conference, basically. Shout out to to Matt Brown and his college ball history about the metro, the uh, airplane conference. Um, so, I mean, that's a huge number of teams. But now you actually are talking about something that feels a little more sustainable. Yeah. Um, and again, sitting on your hands, like we have countless examples of how in this college sports landscape, sitting on your hands is almost the worst thing that you can do. Like no one has. I feel like no one and maybe there's an example I'm just missing. No conference I think has really regretted making these moves really. Like yeah. I think there's been maybe some like West, the schools, West Virginia the schools and the, end up individually the schools right. regret them but the leagues like, you're right. Like, yeah, right, fine. West they're Virginia fine. probably like looks at the Big 12 and is like, "Eh, but again, they what was their other option, right?" So yeah. um but the conferences there's not a lot of regret typically on these things. And so, you know, sit sit on your hands at your own peril. Yeah, I think I think if you're the ACC, it's a great point, Joe. Like if you're the ACC, you're looking at the Big Ten and saying, hey, you guys have you've just assumed a West Coast Olympic sport problem like this does not fit like, you you know, you can pretend it fits. It doesn't fit. So can we come up with a we'll we'll help us stand. We'll help with the football side. Can we come up with Olympic sport collaboration? I don't know, like some really smart people could get creative with this and say, hey, if we were to take football off the table. And, and, or, or like, we'll take football and that helps our football situation. I mean, they, you know, they took Notre Dame for football for the pandemic season. And then let's, let's coordinate an Olympics. I don't know, like that, that, that's where something fun maybe comes of all this. Hey, maybe the pack, maybe the pack four in the big Ten can have another alliance. <laughs> oh gosh. Remember, remember when they were going to go after the oh. SEC with the, hey. the, the big Ten pack 12 alliance. Hey, let's wrap with this. <laughs> the only fun part of all this stuff has been the tweets. So Washington baseball, which has got one of the best Twitter handles in our sport. They're always bringing the, bringing the ruckus. They did the uh, tweet, Joe, that I know you saw basically saying, what is Menards? Like, I thought that was a great, you know, they basically said, Hey, nice to meet you. My name is Washington. And what is this Menards thing? And then the one that the, 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 the office, Vidi Jif that BYU played with Utah that said, Oh, how the turntables. Oh, that is just if, <laughs> if you haven't gone to BYU's Twitter handle for athletics, you need to do that. That was gorgeous. That's, a, that's an underrated say, rivalry in football, man. That's a, that's yeah. a fun game, the Holy War. The Holy War, yeah. yeah. I uh, I also saw the Michael Scott gif of uh, used in a different context, how you know the the, the Big Ten was kind of coming out and say, Well, we don't want to be the ones to kill the Pac 12. And then, of course, they kind of were ultimately. And it was that Michael Scott quote of like, frankly, I want all of the credit and none of the blame. Like, and that's, yeah. that's you know, kind of, kind of where yeah. they were. But, My yeah. favorite part of the whole the whole saga was like, um, you know, Stuart Mandel and all these different athletic writers, you know, tweeting it at night. Like, oh, it looks like the Pac-12 is done. At like 8 a.m. they tweet out, oh, the Pac-12 appears to be saved. And then like two hours later, 
Big Ten announces the addition of Oregon and Washington. Like what? Like what is going on here? It's crazy. The whole time I'm looking at a, a, a an app on my phone that says X, which I'm trying to figure that out at the same time. What are we even doing with our lives? What happened to the planet Earth, boys? Let's let's cap it right there. That was good. That was fun. That was good therapy. I don't know if we accomplished anything. I like the idea of peak events, running a bunch of weekends for these leagues. Um, so that, that, that would be really fun. Maybe we can get the SEC to add the carrots. Oh, the carrots. I did tweet that, that the carrots are. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Buying a master mechanics tool set usually means high prices, higher interest rates, and who knows how many years of monthly payments. But at GearWrench, we don't believe that your tools should take years and years to pay for. So check out Mega Mod Master Sets, the master mechanics tool sets that deliver pro-quality tools, organized storage solutions, an easy-to-use lifetime warranty, and much, much more. All for thousands less than you'd expect. So don't wait. Explore the sets and check availability now. Only at GearWrench.com.